welcome to Jeffrey R. DeRigo's Bunch of Stuff, an occasional podcast about writing, science fiction, and the stories that Jeff himself has published. Hey there, and welcome to the first episode of Jeffrey R. DeRigo's Bunch of Stuffcast. So this is kind of a place where I'm going to post some writing that's been produced as podcasts already, yet the producers of which have sort of vanished from the podcast spectrum and the stories that they'd published of mine have fallen into the void. I happen to have them, so I'll be able to repost them here with this introduction like this one. I'll also post some new stories now and then based on some writing that I have available at the Kindle store and in upcoming volumes of stuff that I still have the rights to. If you're interested in who I am, my name is Jeff, Jeff DeRigo, Jeffrey R. DeRigo, and I'm the author of the Union Dues stories that were very popular for a while in the podcast fiction market, primarily published through Escape Pod, which is still going strong. And uh, for a little while through Clone Pod, which was a nice little podcast modeled on Escape Pod, published by some kids. Got some other stories out in the market too. Uh, some zombie stories that were really well received and won some contests. And some stories that are in anthologies and that sort of thing. And primarily, I'll probably be talking more about Union Do stuff than anything else here, for at least for the time being. So hopefully you'll uh, come along with me and check out some of this stuff. The first story that I'm going to repost here today is the first of the Union Do stories published by Clone Pod, and it was the first in the Team Shikaragaki series, called The Ballad of Kitty Momoiro. Or as I called them as I was writing them, these are the song stories, where each story has a song title. So there's the ballad, the saga, the sojourn, the threnody, those are all song types. And I wanted to use those to sort of build on the sort of musical nature in my head that I saw of the Team Shikaragaki kids. I was fortunate to discover Clone Pod through listening to Escape Pod. I think Steve Elias, Sarah Elias, as she's known now, uh, maybe mentioned them, and I began listening to their production. I heard the voices of their hosts, Abby and... I think Abby, Stephen, and some... I can't remember all of the kids' names, but I remember Abby's name. And I thought that they were the absolute perfect voices for the Team Shikaragaki kids. While the production isn't as spot on as I would like it to be, they did a fine job putting these stories together and putting them out. I think for the most part, Abby Kim is her name, was able to capture the essence of Kitty Momoiro really, really well. She had just the right voice, just the right timber, just the right pitch. She was just the right age. It was just the right story at just the right time, I thought. And I really liked how they produced it. Now, some folks have complained to me about some of the audio issues that are in there, some mispronunciations and other stuff. But man, in my experience with the podcast market, that's par for the course. And for all intents and purposes, I didn't see that. I saw the whole picture and I heard the whole voice and thought that that was really well, what made it really special for the listeners and for me. And I really enjoyed their presentation, especially the two stories that followed where there was just a little bit more polish in the production. They really captured Tam and they really captured TK well. For those that are listening to this that don't know these three stories, you may have heard the fourth story in this series, which was published over back at Escape Pod, and that was The Threnody of Johnny Taruko. Uh, that story ties into these three. They're, they follow the same sort of style as the Union Do stories, where it's single person, present tense, first person narrative. And there are elements in the story that carry from one story to the other, even if the main character is different. And in this case, it's the distance traveled by this whole group and their interactions with a character named El Supremo. Hopefully you'll get a kick out of this. And what I'll do is I'll throw the other one up there next and I'll see you at the end of the podcast. So... Thanks. I hope you listen, and hopefully I'll uh, be inspired enough to record more than, like, four of these. So let's check out the ballad of Kitty Momoiro, and I'll see you on the other side of this podcast. 
Welcome to another edition of ClonePod.org, Voices of the Future, podcasting today's science fiction and fantasy. Today's story is not for children. It is PG-13 for language, mature topics, and violence. Hi, this is Forrest, and you are listening to ClonePod. I'm doing a solo intro today because I'm a huge fan of this episode's author, Jeffrey Durego, the creator of the Union Do series. The idea for doing this podcast stemmed from my love of Escape Pod. The first Union Do series came out when Escape Pod was still young. It was in November of 2005, episode 26. The title of that story was Union Do's, Iron Bars, and the Glass Jaw. I loved it. Five more Union Do stories came out after that. They were all exciting and engaging. Now, I have a huge privilege to announce a Union Do story from our podcast. This week's story is Union Do's, Ballad of Kitty Memorial. This story is the first in a new Union Do series we will be presenting about Team Shikigaki a group of young union members. This story develops Kitty's character. Mr. DeRego lives in New Hampshire with his wife Cindy and his kids Ian and Meg. His fiction has appeared in Escape Pod and Tales of the Zombie War. He also contributes funny commentaries about his writing to The Writing Show and has appeared both on Sci-Fi Dig and The Electric Word. When not writing, Mr. DeRego loves practicing Korean martial art Hopkido and battling Lonzilla. It's Union Dues time. So, we're like in this mall in Wisconsin or Michigan or some other place I can't find on the map. Roped off on a little stage, and all I can concentrate on is how good an orange frosty from the food court would taste right now. Do I notice a couple hundred kids, mostly girls between 5 and 15, are screaming questions and snapping pictures? Sure, but that isn't anywhere near as interesting as how they mix orange juice, coconut milk, and soda water with a chopped banana. I don't focus real good without my ADD meds. Did you really kiss Johnny Tokoro in the back of the bus? I struggled to remember just which issue of Team Shikigaki special stories that happened in it, and if it was really written or just suggested in the perfect bound little books that have trumped all the traditional Adam comic titles in the last five months. I can't remember the term Miss Jennifer uses for them. Mango, or manga, or mangi, or something. They're supposed to be like Japanese because that stuff is really popular. I don't read them unless I have to, and even then, a lot of it doesn't make any sense to me. I never was real good with reading. Tell us, Kitty, did you really kiss him? Uh, I say in glance at Johnny Tokoro, who turns away from a throng of girls with autograph books. Oh, we kissed all right, he says, and it was electric. He puts his white glove index finger to his chin, and a little lightning bolt rides up from his knuckle and leaps his lower lip. The girl screech and swoon. He lets the noise die down a bit and says, And we just shared a chocolate bar so her lips were extra sweet. The girls cry so loudly that you think he's handing out a thousand dollar bills with his phone number printed on them. Miss Jennifer, our teacher, laughs to the mic and then asks the audience to step back so we can do our routine. I'm the super agile part of Team Shikakaragaki. The union, well, Miss Jennifer really, created us to connect more with the younger crowd. 
new comic lines, toys, a live-action TV show, costumes, t-shirts, and fan magazines all bear our likeness and the pink, blue, green, and yellow splashes that differentiate our otherwise white costumes. We trained longer in Salt Lake City than any other union members, but aren't attached to any particular pyramid. We're what Miss Jennifer calls a touring group, so we go from one pyramid to the next in a modified school bus that serves as our roving home and mobile advertisement. You can't miss it, the thing's regular, ugly, yellow, but the windows are only painted on. We each get a little compartment in the back with a fold-down bunk, chair, and fold-down computer desk so we can maintain our blogs. I am not a good spotter, so blogging is harder for me than the others. But Tainsy Kittle, TK as we call her, sometimes helps me. She's our telepath, a little taller than me at five feet, plus three in her white boots. She's the oldest of our class. Sixteen for real, though her character's only thirteen. TK actually had a year of high school before she manifested. Johnny Tokoro, Tam Suji, and me all changed before we graduated the eighth grade. I leap up and flip onto Tam's wide shoulders. I shout, Team Chikakaragaki! Battle stands alpha! Tam slides back his right foot and brings up his huge fist like he's ready to duke it out with some imaginary monster. TK places her fingers on her temples. Johnny swings his arms wide and lets a cascade of blue lightning shake down his arms. I jump upwards, twisting, until I'm head down and my boot heels nearly scrape the skylights. Then I drop to the stage and crouch. We all shout, we all shout, Team Shikakaragaki, go! The kids absolutely love it. We breeze through seven more action poses before the show ends, and Miss Jennifer lets us interact with the audience again. The kids mostly want to beg us for information about the upcoming adventures in the books and TV show. The union gives us a general plot outline each month to match the going-ons in the book. And more detailed outlines before every appearance, so we almost always have an answer. It's harder to stay in character than it is to remember which of us is in love with who and whether Johnny gave flowers to me or TK three issues ago. I'm the extra cute, perky one, and the union chose light pink for my costume to emphasize my cuteness and innocence. I've signed so many glossy magazines that I'm tired of drawing little hearts next to my name. I normally wouldn't do it, but my comic likeness does. My fingers are cramped. Most of the kids are shuffled past in less than two hours, and Miss Jennifer is across the stage talking with the mall event manager. A girl in a blue hoodie and sunglasses slides past the others and stands directly in front of me. She shoves the magazine into my glove. I smile and flip to the center spread that's supposed to be of me, hugging a huge pink teddy bear, but a torn sheet of loose leaf paper covers the picture. It says, please help me, you're the only one I can trust. I'm your little sister. The girl pulls down her sunglasses and I almost faint. I whisper, Sandy, oh my God. I haven't seen or heard her voice in a year. I had to be sure it was you, she says. I thought the first time I saw your picture that you were Kitty, but I wasn't sure. I ran away from home four days ago. Sandy starts to cry. Go to the food court, wait for me there. The rest of the team is staring at me now. I take Sandy's hands and squeeze them. Wait for me, okay? She nods and backs away from the stage. We finish up with the last of the autographs 45 minutes later. My perkiness scotch is at E, and I'm so twitchy, sitting still is almost impossible. 
The mall has a couple guys packing up the stager, so Miss Jennifer walks us through J.C. Penny to the mall VIP room. Good show today. No great show today. We all answer in a choral sing-song. Thank you, Miss Jennifer. She laughs and shakes her head. You guys ready to do a little shopping? We are often told that being allowed to walk out of costume for a little while is an unheard of privilege for the union regulars. The live action TV show has real actors playing our out of costume identities. So the chance of someone recognizing us as Team Shikagaragaki is slim at best. And the malls are so choked with kids our age on a day when we make an appearance that it's even easier to blend. Tam has to stay behind. He's so big and wide that even out of costume people are going to know him. If it bothers him, he doesn't say so. Miss Jennifer hands us each $100 in 20s. One hour. She says, no unnecessary contact with anyone. Don't make me come looking for you. TK, no cigarettes. TK rolls her eyes. We each use the VIP bathroom to change out of our costumes and into our street clothes. I go third. Dress quickly in baggy jeans, t-shirt, blue sweater, and sneakers. I tie my long black hair into a ponytail and hurry downstairs. Sandy sits alone at a table right near McDonald's. I carefully check the perimeter before making a circling approach. They train us to be very aware of our surroundings, and by now it's almost as natural and automatic as blinking. I slide into the seat opposite her. I didn't know where else to go. Sandy's voice breaks at the end, and it takes a few seconds for her to calm down. I didn't think we'd ever see each other again, and I'm not supposed to even want to. But now that Sandy's sitting here, there isn't another place on the earth that I want to be. I miss you so much. I cried every day for three months when they took you away. I was so scared. And then Sandy breaks into sobs again. Calm down. I'm here now and I'm not going anywhere. A glance at the pedestal clock in the center of the food court. Why did you run away? Her eyes were wide, pleading, but she didn't speak. In that instant, I know. Dad. When did it start? Sandy blows her nose into a Dunkin' Donut napkin. A few months after Mom left. My head swims for a second. What do you mean Mom left? Where did she go? She took off with her boss and left Dad and me alone. He was so sad. It was like both of you died, but we didn't have a funeral for you. Just gone. And all we had was each other. And that was good. Dad loves us a whole lot. I grab her hands and squeeze them. Dad, well, our stepdad, our real dad, died in a car crash when Sandy was just a baby. Molested me for a year before I manifested. Suddenly, I remember that I remember it. I shake my head. Oh my god. I, like, haven't had any concrete memories of home since I left. Like, there was never a need. To think about mom, dad, or Sandy, or Zooty Kitty. Maybe it was something Union did when they were, like, imprinting the character and all the other stuffs in our brains to make us less sad about being away from home forever. The memories, my memories, come back like someone turned on a faucet inside my head. He told me I was pretty and how I was so special. Her eyes begged me to let her stop talking. 
and so you ran. I didn't know where else to go. I wanted to go to the police, but they wouldn't believe me. My teachers all hate me, so I couldn't tell them. And then I saw you on TV. I wasn't sure at first, but I saw some good pictures in a magazine, and I knew it was you. I read your blog. I joined the fan club so I could find out where you'd be putting a show closest so I could try to see you. The police must be looking for you. Dad wouldn't just let you disappear. I don't know. He might be afraid of what I might tell them when they find me. Maybe he thinks I'll just come back after a while. I still want to face credit cards when I left, and it's still active, so I haven't starved or anything. The anger swells up inside me so fast I almost vomit. When Dad touched me, I didn't know what to do either, but I figured out I could threaten to tell Mom, and he stopped, and it did for a while, but then he stirred again, and I threatened again, with the police this time, and he stopped. Dad always apologized and bought me things, as if that was somehow a way to make it all okay. But it wasn't, and he knew that. I made him promise never to touch a little girl again on the night before I left for training. I should have known better. I should have said something the first time. Now Sandy has suffered because I was a coward. And I don't know what to do. Find Mom. She, she doesn't want me anymore. I realize I still don't know where I am. How far away from home are we? I hitchhiked a couple of days to get here. Where is here? I glance at the clock again. I only have 20 minutes to get back to the VIP room, or Miss Jennifer is going to come looking for me, and she won't be happy. Hot Springs, South Dakota. We usually make a couple of stops between pyramids, and I think we're due to stop at Minneapolis Pyramid next. Then on to Chicago with two stops in between. Home is west, like 400 miles or something. No way I can get there without help. Help. That's just what I need right now. I tried to deal with Dad on my own before, and look where it got Sandy. No, this time I'm going to do it right. Come with me. Sandy follows me to the orange frosty stand and waits while I buy one for each of us. I can't believe how amazing it tastes. It's even better than I remember. I try to slip it slow so I don't get brain freeze, but it's so sweet and cold. Hold up, Sandy. I lean on a bench in the center of the mall until a throbbing ache just behind my left eye starts to fade. Woo, jeez, holy, I think I got brain damage. Sandy laughs so hard she almost spits up, and for a second it's like we've been hanging around every day, just like we did before I left. Just like everything was. Well, it was never normal. What's the right word? Predictable. Yeah, predictable's the right one. I missed you so bad, she says. Me too. Sandy follows me to the back of J.C. Penny. Wait here. Pretend to shop. I'll be back in five minutes, okay? I dart back through the hallway to the VIP room. Everybody's back except TK. Miss Jennifer is talking to Minneapolis through her communicator bracelet. She's pissed about something, but I don't listen close enough to try to figure it out. She always got some drama going on with the union regulars. At least two pyramids won't even let us overnight with them. Like they're so much better than us, or something. Johnny Tokoto noticed me standing there. Didn't you buy anything? I waved the orange frosty at him. That's it? Jeez, Tam says and holds up the special limited edition of DVD of 
Mighty Joe Young and a stack of new games for the game station. Remind me next time and I'll give you a list of movies and books I want too. You and your ape flicks, man, Johnny says, and then playfully throps Tam on the shoulder and then shakes his hands around like he just punched a cement wall. Miss Jennifer ends her call and turns to us. Where's TK? We shake our heads and shrug. She hangs the communicator to her lips. Wait, I need to talk to you. She pauses. In private. Uh-oh, Tam says, but shuts up when he sees the seriousness in my eyes. We don't have any secrets in Team Shikagaragaki, Kitty. Miss Jennifer folds her arms around her chest. Sometimes we do. I step right up next to her and whisper, I can't talk about this in front of anybody. This isn't time to argue. Tam, Johnny, get changed. Now. I wait for them to leave. My sister's downstairs. She needs help. Bad. Miss Jennifer's face goes white. I tell her about Dad and how I made him promise before I left for training and how Sandy is suffering because I didn't do what was right. She lets me talk, uninterrupted until I sob and I can't speak anymore. She hugs me and strokes my hair and tells me it'll all be okay. Cripes, I'm gone five extra minutes and look what happens. TK stands in the doorway with two bags of clothes. Get changed, Kitty. TK, come with me. She says, uh, okay, what, what's up? Why the tears? Just follow me. I'm going to. If she doesn't see me, she'll run away again. A moment later, we're in the back of J.C. Penny, and I wave Sandy over. Miss Jennifer doesn't waste a second. Sandy, here's what you're going to do. She shoves $2,000 into Sandy's hands. Get a taxi to the airport. Get a flight to Boston. When you get to Boston, get a flight to Dallas, Texas. When you get to Dallas, get a flight home. When you get to the last airport, call the police in your hometown and tell them about your father. Sandy nods. Boston, Dallas, home, police. And pay for everything in cash. Give me your father's credit card. Sandy slowly hands over her dad's visa. Tell me what you're going to do. Fly to Boston, then to Dallas, then home, and when I get home, I will call the police and tell them everything. One last thing, Sandy, and this is very important. You have not seen your sister since she joined the Union. You do not know who she is, only that she's gone. You cannot identify her from the photographs of the Union members or images of Team Shikakaragaki. Do you understand? She nods slowly. Miss Jennifer, wait! You can't do that! Get back and get dressed, Kitty. This is the best way. I grab TK by the arm, but she shrugs me off, and I know from the concentration on her face that she's deep within Sandy's mind. Implanting everything Miss Jennifer said and wiping out anything that could make trouble for us. TK, no! She's my sister! Miss Jennifer steers me away a few feet. Save that anger, Kitty. You'll need it later. Now give your sister one last hug and let her go. I hug her, but it's cold and distant, like I'm squeezing a teddy bear stuffed with snow. Don't worry, Sandy. I'll make sure to do the right thing this time. You already have, Miss Jennifer says. Come on, get dressed. We have a lot of driving ahead of us. TK and I share the VIP bathroom. 
I put my hair into two trademark ponytails while TK dresses in the stall. I'm sorry about your, you and your sister, she says, and her voice echoes eerily off the beige tile. I should have told someone. You're a kid. How the hell are you supposed to know what to do in a situation like that? She bumps against the wall and the whole stall shakes. What do you think Miss Jennifer is going to do now she knows? Probably nothing. Just a guess. I should have done more. Let's just get dressed and on the bus. We have a long ride to Minneapolis. TK emerges from the stall in her bright yellow tights. She strides to the mirror and puts on glossy lipstick before sliding her half hood and eye mask into place. I slip into the stall and start to undress. I don't want to ask, but the words won't stay buried. You didn't really take away all her memories of me, did you? Tiki laughs. Seriously? She's still my sister, whether I'm in Team Shikikaragaki or not. I just want to know if someone out there hasn't forgot that I used to be a person. She laughs again. I only took out what was necessary. Don't worry. I'm not into the whole wipe their mind stuff that Miss Jennifer seems to love. She'll remember you, but not who you are now. That's all. I can take a lot of things away, but love isn't one of them. She won't ever forget you. She just can't remember the last few weeks that all that clearly. There's something else, too. When we were talking, Sandy and me, I mean, I suddenly remembered what Dad put me through, and I haven't even thought of it since training started. It was all like coming back to me in one big burst. Do you think the Union blocked those memories? I wouldn't put it past them. Now, I wonder if everybody has something taken away and how much of what I do remember is my own true life. I shake my head and finish dressing. I'll talk with Miss Jennifer about it later. I fix my hair in the mirror and follow TK out to the VIP room. We have to make sure we don't leave anything behind. No half-eaten snacks or drink cups that someone could steal DNA from and use that to figure out who or why we are. Miss Jennifer usually takes all the refuge to a special incinerator we have in the back of the bus, but checking is part of their routine now. The room is clean. We jog down a long stairway at the end of the hall and emerge into a walked parking area where the bus waits. TK and me climb to the roof where Tam and Johnny are sitting Indian style just behind the top of the windshield. Miss Jennifer cranks the diesel engine into life and carefully steers us into mall traffic. We all take positions. Tam is in back, Johnny's in front, TK and me are on alternate sides, and we make our customary three-lap cruise around the perimeter of the parking lot. Dozens of people honk and wave from their cars, and little crowds of kids and adults clump together on the sidewalks to watch us drive by. I usually love this part. But today, I can't think about anything but Sandy and Dad and how angry I am. We finally pull off the mall and climb back inside of our home. Tam is already powering up his game console and big TV built on the wall. Johnny grabs the second controller and drops down on the carpet. TK heads to her bunk. I watch the boys play some fighting games for a minute, but it's not that interesting or realistic. I ease up into the seat right behind Miss Jennifer. She knows I'm coming to talk. How are you feeling? I don't know. Angry, but not like... 
Not at him, or you, or TK, but at me. She doesn't answer until we're accelerating on the highway. That's normal, Kitty. I failed, Sandy. What would you do if you had your dad right here, right now? Miss Jennifer's question sends a shock through me. I... I don't know. Would you talk to him? Beat him up? Kill him? Kill him? He's my dad. Sure, he's a bad guy. And he caused all kinds of drama for me and Sandy. I thought Sandy was going to call the cops when she finished all her plane rides. Miss Jennifer smiles and guns the engines. The bus peels west onto Interstate 90. Get some sleep, Kitty. I'll wake you when you're home. We usually overnight in truck stops when on tour. Though sometimes if we're out for more than a week, Miss Jennifer rents us rooms at some out-of-the-way motel so we can shower. We've only been on the road three days so far, and Minneapolis is waiting. She wakes me just as the sun dips down below the tall line of sycamore trees separating the truck stop parking lot from the highway. I sit up and open the door a little. Miss Jennifer puts a finger to her lips, then whispers, Get dressed and meet me outside. She waits near the rear of the bus in the shadow of an idling tractor trailer. She isn't wearing her usual costume of a two-piece tweed skirt and blazer, but instead a black unitard and eye mask. You know where we are? No. Good, she says. Follow me. We slip into the trees and across the highway to a crisscross of residential streets leading to the tall brick elementary school. I gasp. This is was my neighborhood. What are we going to do? You are going to put an end to this for you and your sister. Miss Jennifer leaps easily over the black fences and sleeping dogs until we crouch in the shadows of my old home. The living room and kitchen lights smear out over the black lawn like yellow stains. What the hell am I supposed to do? You'll know when you get inside. You only got a little while before the other starts waking up and ask questions. I don't want to do this. Her voice is a little more than a growl now. Who's the protector, Kitty? I could call the police. I'm giving you this one chance to resolve all this past stuff and move on. The shadow crosses the kitchen window. Dad, why do you think he hasn't called the cops to bring Sandy back? He knows as soon as they find her, he's in for some deep trouble. Better that he just go on like she's never been born. Just like with you when the Union took you in. He just went on like you've never been born. Miss Jennifer grabs my hands. He's finished either way, but I want you to have your say. She pushes Dad's visa card into my palm. I pull my hands away and study the back of the house and yard. Dad changed a lot of it since I left. My playhouse, gone. The swing set, too. It's like he's erasing my childhood. Give me ten minutes. Counting down now. I leap up onto the rose trestle that stretches up to and between my and Sandy's bedrooms. Hers is locked. Mine isn't. I slide open and creep inside. The room is pretty much how I remembered it, except they boxed up most of my stuff and took down my posters. 
I don't remember where the floors creak or not, so I don't rush through the hallway or anything. The last thing I want Dad to think that there's a burglar in the house. He used to keep a pistol in a metal box beside his bed. I check my watch and sneak towards his room. Mom always kept the bedrooms clean, or at least insisted that we did. But now she's gone, and Dad is a slob. Piles of dirty clothes heap against the tattered wing-back chair, so there's almost no room to move. I dart into a small space between the master bathroom and the bedroom door. It's a struggle to keep my breathing silent and controlled. Adrenaline surges through me, numbing my fingertips and ringing in my ear. Dad enters. He's in sweats, and his hair is a mess. He lays down on the bed and mumbles about the TV remote control then turns toward me as if he cannot believe his eyes. Freezes there, with the remote control pointed into empty space. What the? I spring out and land with my knees across his chest. He outweights me by at least 150 pounds, but my reflexes are so fast that I adjust my weight as he struggles to keep from wiggling free. Hello, Vincent, I say in a deep, ominous voice as I can muster. Where are your daughters? He panics and thrashes, but I dig my knees into his chest. I misjudge his reach, and he grabs the bedside lamp. I leap backwards as the lamp swings past my face, and Dad scrambles off the bed clumsily to his feet. He barks, Who the hell are you? In a voice so terrified, it almost breaks my concentration. Don't you recognize me, Vincent? He's searching for the gun box, so I have to act fast. I pounce again. He's a little taller than me by over a foot, but I still manage to get my fingers around his throat and tilt him off balance until he stumbles to the floor. I'm a hero. I save good people from bad people like you. Dad's fingers find the box and the gun inside. I sway just enough to to keep the pistol from hitting me, and I stomp down on his wrist and palm. His hand opens and he cries out, and my heel digs into his soft tissue. I squat down. Sandy told me everything, Vincent, everything. I wrap my fingers around his neck. When the police come for you, and they will come for you, tell them the truth. Tell them everything that you did to Sandy. He pants and snorts. Sweat rolls down his cheeks and off his forehead. You you don't know anything, he manages. And to me, I squeeze his neck so tight that my knuckles crack. His eyes widen, and for a second, his body goes limp. You, you're... I reach down and take the gun from his outstretched hand and place the barrel against his inner thigh. You know how easy it would be to pull the trigger, Daddy? You always loved it when I called you Daddy, didn't you? I was afraid of you, Daddy. I was afraid of your footsteps in the hallway at midnight, of our father-daughter car trips, of your cologne, your bad breath, your hands. I was terrified, Vincent. But I'm not anymore. Not anymore. Now you can be afraid for me for the rest of your life. I thumb the hammer back and Dad twitches. He slams his eyes closed. His breath comes in short, terrified hisses. Next time you see me, I won't be here to talk. Open your mouth, Daddy. I step the credit card between his lips. He coughs and sputters and I, as I mash the hard plastic past his teeth with one hard slam of the pistol grip. His body goes limp. A rivet of blood oozes down from his left side of his mouth. I'm off him and out of the room in a flash. Drop down from the window a second later and run all the way back to the truck stop with Miss Jennifer behind me. 
I stumble at the tree line because I'm crying so badly I can't see. I haven't cried about this, ever, but I can't keep the tears bottled up anymore. Miss Jennifer stops and kneels beside me. Buck up, she says. It's almost over now. I shouldn't have done it, I sob. You had to. I had to let go of it once. Now I have to do it all over again. You're strong, Kitty, and you did the right thing. Miss Jennifer helps me to my feet. I shouldn't have done it. Oh, my God, what did I do? Someone steps out of the shadows, and Miss Jennifer says, Okay, she's ready. TK steps forward, and I'm suddenly lost in her eyes. I've been asleep for what feels like a hundred hours. My muscles burn and ache, and I'm groggy. I want orange juice, but the fridge is empty. Tam and Johnny won't turn the world's noisiest video games off, even though I have the wickedest of headaches ever. Miss Jennifer says I can have a couple of aspirin when we get to Minneapolis. Only a half an hour or so by her guess. Until then, I just have to grin and bear it. Great. TK sips black coffee from the styrofoam cup and thumbs through a fashion magazine. How'd you sleep? she asks. I dropped into a little booth beside her. Okay, I guess. I had some bad dreams, though. At least I think I did. I never remember them when I wake up. And this headache. Maybe I'm getting a cold or something. Yeah, she says. A cold or something. TK flips past an ad for an orange frosty. I wish I had one of those right now. God, it's been like a year since I even touched one. TK says, can't drink them too fast or you'll get brain damage. I close my eyes for a minute and it takes the edge off the pain, but still worse than any brain freeze ever. Miss Jennifer pulls off the highway and through the window, I can see the Minneapolis pyramid jutting out of the skyline. We're home, she says, and for a split second, I remember that I used to have another home once. I wonder if Mom and Dad and Sandy ever think of me. We hope you enjoyed the story and you come back for more. The story is read by my sister Abby Kim. Chris Moody, a member of the Clone Pod team and podcaster of Podio Media Chat, did the sound engineering with help from our other audio engineer, Bruce McDonald. Thanks to Robert Farmer for letting us use his music. If you enjoyed the story, please consider subscribing at the $3 a month level. This month, we will be giving away randomly one t-shirt from our shop for every 10 donors. We will also be giving away an item of your choice for every 5 donors who donate $5 or more. Speaking of t-shirts, show the world how much you love the Union D series and get a t-shirt. Clonepod is under Creative Commons Attribution Not Commercial No Derivatives License. You can clone us, you just can't change us or sell us. So there was the ballad of Kitty Momo as recorded by the Clone Pod team back in 2008. Uh, the podcast was great. I, I miss it, and I miss I miss uh, listening to their work and hearing the enthusiasm that they had for science fiction uh, and for reading and writing as kids who were, I think they were high school age maybe, maybe even a little younger than that. Uh, with that said, we're done for today. I'll post a couple more of these as time goes on, and I'll include their bumper and everything else in between because I don't want their production to sort of be lost in time, and I want to make sure that their production team gets the credit that they're due, assuming anybody ever listens to this. You can connect with me 
on Instagram, although I never post pictures, at Jeff McLarchuge. You can listen to the podcast I co-host every week called Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. It's a lot of fun. It's a comedy history podcast. And you can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, And if anybody who's a Union Dues fan knows, if they reach out to me, I will gladly chat for a little while. So I'll see you next time. Go Union and have a great week.